0: Hello, and welcome to the Pro's Travel Podcast, The View from 30,000 Feet, a podcast series featuring airline industry experts tackling the real issues around airline digital transformation. This is our second season. I highly recommend listening to the last season if you haven't yet. And we're focused on big and small changes around travel IT, data, products, and retailing. Now sit back, relax, and enjoy the flight. Hi everyone, this is Aditi Mehta. The View from 30,000 Feet is all about chatting with folks in the business, especially those who've seen it all. It's always great for those in the industry to not only share their war stories, but also share what's shaping the unique industry that they work in. Though travel or airline can be a blanket term, it's clear that depending on what department you're part of or what part of the travel chain you work in, what region or business model you may operate in, things can be very different, and there's a lot to be learned. For today's episode, I wanted to sit down with Tara Davies, Senior Director of Professional Services at PROS and pick the brain of an industry veteran. Tara hails from Canada and has tremendous history in the airline business, which I'll get, let her get into. But one of the main things I wanted to chat with her is about the nitty-gritty of implementing new products, what works, what doesn't, and where she's seen the most successes. Because at the end of the day, implementing a new technology is a huge, if not key, step in the digital transformation process. Welcome, Tara. It's so great to have you. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Great. So can you tell us a little bit about your background and how you came to the travel industry? Sure.
1: So I'm from Canada, from Calgary, which is the home of WestJet. Um, I was, I went to university in Calgary, and I have a sociology degree. So you can see the very close linkage between airline revenue management and my degree. Um, and I was spending time in risk management at an insurance company, which was slightly on the darker, more depressing side Interesting. Of, of things. And WestJet was really just kind of getting started and getting rolling and they were really hot. Everyone in town was talking about them. Everyone wanted to work there. And at that time, the only people they were hiring were referrals. So a friend of mine got me an interview in the call center. Oh, wow. So. I made a huge kind of life decision, said, you know what, I'm going to take a role in the call center. I'm just going to check out this WestJet excitement and see what it's all about. So I got into the call center and very quickly kind of got the hang of it and and loved it. And at that time, um, there was a lot of time between calls. So I had access to the manuals for every department. From the pilots to the flight attendants to whatever. Oh, wow. So I read everyone's manuals just to pass time. <laughs> and so I, I mean if you need me I could marshal in an aircraft. If you're ever, you know, at a gate and they don't have the aircraft marshallers, just let me know.
0: I wanna be on a flight with you next time. It was
1: so fun. <laughs> so I so West Show being very entrepreneurial and small at the time I had, you know, a lot of opportunity to do different things. So I did anything to get off the phone. So it would go dust in like the executive's office and water plants and in the complaints department. So I ended up moving there. It was called customer care. So we dealt with irregular operations, a lot of snowstorms in Canada. And then just, uh, I answered Transport Canada complaints. So the job wow. was to resolve complaints. So I That, did that. sounds
0: like a very intimidating job.
1: It was great actually because WestJet is really about empowerment with a safety net. So mm-hmm. you could do whatever you needed to do to get the customer happy again. Oh, wow. So it was kind of fun actually to figure your way through that. And um, it was pretty rewarding work. The idea was if you can resolve a Transport Canada complaint, it doesn't get reported. So If you don't resolve it, then those look poorly upon your airline. So we did everything we could to resolve them. So that was fine. Uh, Then I moved into the schedule analyst uh, department. So we would build the flight schedules. Um, And that was not really for me. So, uh, but what was for me was joining the committees that this team of introverts didn't want to be part of. So I joined like the on-time performance committee and the new technology committee and so all of that. So that's where I started into new technology. Wow. And I started implementing new scheduling software and then moved all the way to implementing the PSS system.
0: That's quite a journey.
1: Yeah, so it was, a so the, along the way, you know, I took night classes for project management and business analysis and all of that stuff. So I ended up working on the Sabre PSS as part of the core team and that basically kind of charted the course for the rest of my career. So at that time, um, Southwest purchased an airline called Airtran, mm-hmm. and I knew both Navitaire and Sabre, so I thought, well, this is my chance to try something different. So that, at that time, I moved to the US as a contractor, yeah, and I worked with Southwest, just helping them integrate Airtran and helping them with international operations.
0: Right, That was actually a pretty big deal yeah. Antran.
1: Airtran. Air Airtran yeah.
0: within uh, Southwest.
1: It was because Southwest had never done international operations. So all the right. things that we had dealt with being a Canadian carrier, if you don't fly to the U.S., you're pretty much out of luck, right? Right. There's, you know your your population base is not in Canada. So we spent a lot of time working on international travel, and they're they're doing it now, which is right. exciting.
0: That's. Really fascinating how you've gone to so many different departments and had exposure to so many <laughs> different parts of an airline. I think that's yeah. that helps really to understand the airline forwards and backwards. Do you have any favorites?
1: Yeah, um, oddly enough, it, it wasn't in the RM space. I um, I really I loved. I've sort of um, meandered a bit around retail most of my career, so a lot of web design, and I love that. I think it's really interesting from an airline perspective, but my passion is in the operational pieces. Really? So managing uh, irregular operations, managing crew scheduling. I just, I love that stuff and I I love it because it's so dependent on so many different things. There's so many providers, there's so many interfaces, and I just, I love how it all comes together.
0: Well, okay, let's fast forward to your role today at uh, what do you do? So
1: I have the implementation team for professional services travel. We uh, call them implementation excellence. Mm-hmm. So that is the project managers, the implementation consultants, uh, the solution architects, and a team we call technical professional services. And that group is unified in our desire, to deliver our projects for our customers on time on budget deliver the value our customers expect so we're the delivery arm of the
0: organization yeah that's really interesting so i I wanted to deep dive into some of that because you know at pros we talk a lot about digital transformation and what Mm -hmm. our airline customers are going through in order to really transform and be ready for this digital economy but change can be hard and there's a lot of hang-ups around bringing that change to life so what's your experience been with airlines are they ready for this change
1: i think they think they're ready i that might not be a very popular opinion but i think digital transformation is one of those things that like ndc is is a bit of a buzzword buzz term and carriers airlines know they need to do it but i don't think they know how to do it because i don't think they know what it means to their airline um i think a lot of people are doing good things in pockets and um i i think sometimes what i have seen in my past career just if you look on a more micro level at something like ancillary sales right is that so many different stakeholder groups in the airline are now involved, and it's not something that is in the fabric of airlines. You know, operations do operations, call centers do call centers. That's that very kind siloed. Of yeah, very siloed. So I think digital transformation rocks their world a little bit yeah. where it comes to understanding end to end and the integration of all those pieces. And without, I think, a corporate cultural vision. It's a struggle.
0: It's a struggle for airlines. So do you have, I'm putting you on the spot now, (laughs) examples of leadership that's actually, we talk about that a lot where the buy-in comes from the C-suite. And have you seen in airlines, not necessarily our customers, but just anywhere where that change is starting to happen?
1: Yeah, I think so. I think, I just think in the organization of the airlines, where they're starting to, put executives in charge of di- digital transformation is where you're seeing success. right. I mean the, if you just look across the thought leaders, which I believe are in our customer group, yeah, that's where you're successful. where they have designated somebody who has oversight and the ability and the positional or informal you know influence to bring those groups together. That's where I think you're seeing success. And it's an end-to-end approach. It's not just RM, it's not just retail, it's across the board, impacting all those areas.
0: Okay, yeah, that's really interesting. And I agree with you. I think, I mean, you talk to a lot of customers about implementing some big solutions like revenue management, right? So what are some of the considerations that you have to walk customers through when it comes to implementing a brand new revenue management system?
1: Yeah, I think RM, it's really sort of a special system at an airline. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's do or die with R M. So right. they're they're very delicate systems, and the and people who deal with them spend a lot of time refining them and tweaking them and making them work for exactly um, you know what what you as an airline want to have happen. So some of the considerations I think are just you know, understanding how you use your product today and what you're doing in terms of workarounds. Because I think sometimes you work around something and then it just becomes ingrained in your process and you can't remember that that used to be a workaround. Um, One thing where I see that we have challenges just with the most recent RM implementations is we're not accounting for the time it takes to adopt. We're, do, we're dropping a lot of information, a lot of very sophisticated science right. on carriers, and we need to help them learn that it takes time to adopt these things and to sort of break them out of the habits. And that's part of our change management methodology.
0: Isn't that typically a challenge for airlines? Because, I mean, there's that time to value, right? That's the pressure that yeah. the executives have. It's like, we just need to make use of this system that we just spent a lot of money on. Yeah. What are those types of conversations like with your airline customers?
1: Well, I think for an airline executive to get as much value, they, they've got to put dedicated resources. I know that hurts at airlines. I know it's hard. They have to put people in project teams who are users. Yeah. When we run into problems, it's at the point in the project where users enter the scene to start testing. And it's too late at that point. Um, I think executives need to themselves commit to the process where we have the most successful implementations are where we have ongoing executive engagement and support. I mean, change is painful, right? Nobody, you don't want to change the way you do something. You might love the process you do. You might feel really special because you have a lot of human intervention instead of using the power of the tool. These are all people issues and right. the executives at the airline need to help reinforce that this change has to happen and they have to sort of help um understand how it impacts their organization culturally. So every success we've had in the implementations while I've been here a lot of it has been due to good executive engagement. Right. It's been important.
0: That's really interesting. I like that yeah. and I really like the the that it's a people issue, not necessarily a solution or system issue. You have to get both of those things right.
1: Yeah, I mean, and people on our side too, right? At pros, I think that how we approach these, you know, just like marketing, what what problem are we solving? Not here's Mm -hmm. all the features of this cool thing you're buying, but let me show you how to solve these problems you have in your day job that you're working around today that you don't have the power to solve. Let me solve that for you. So we need to think more like that too, rather than look at all this cool stuff. Look at the Ferrari, Yeah, you know? And it is a Ferrari, but not everybody knows how to drive it right away. Right. And they need some coaxing along the way.
0: So and you might've said some of this, but where do you find some of the biggest challenges for airlines when implementing an URM solution? Is it organizational? Is it resource constraints? I mean, where do you get that pushback?
1: Yes and yes. Um, I I think from resource constraints, um, airlines aren't you know traditionally really advanced product management organizations or you know they they're not necessarily set up to yeah. to have people dedicated to this. So you know like I said earlier, if you if you can dedicate resources and the right kind of resources that can eliminate a big challenge. Um, Organizationally, there's always a tendency to translate to how you did. You're always converting to how things were. And I think if you take the change management and business transformation recommendations and really take them to heart and make some of the organizational changes, uh, I think that's kind of a recipe for for some very quick success rather than kind of resisting. Yeah.
0: There's always that translation. So if, if I'm the leader of a revenue management team, the head of RM, you know, I'm under a lot of pressure with tight deadlines and um, showing that time to value. And you, you gave some tips of like how I should approach that transformation project. But any, any other ways of before you dive in and start working with a vendor, what are some things that you should think about?
1: I would, I want to know what their objective is, Right. what are you trying to achieve? I know pros is best in breed, but we need, I think if I just were to understand what are the business cases you struggle with, yeah. what are the things where you're hitting roadblocks? What's costing you time or your perception of what's co- where you're wasting time and causing you challenges with your team? Yeah. I, I would love that upfront analysis to be done. Rather than us to go in and have kind of the sales pitch of here's all the great things we can do, I'd love to know the problems we're solving because it helps us target what we're doing. And I think on our side, we we're smart people. I mean, we <laughs> we have a competitive advantage in that we are smart people. Yeah, and sometimes bringing that to bear can be challenging for some customers who aren't as sophisticated, right. who don't speak the language in the same way, especially with our um, and, you And know, we, we need to think about that too. And we need to know that in advance. So we have a focus this year where we're really trying to front load more of that information gathering, not just on the business cases, but tell me how you do your business. Tell me what's important to you. Tell me what do you expect from a vendor? How do you know you're successful because yeah. we look a lot to we'll look at the revenue shift, you know, look at the improved margin, but those are not the only metrics of success. And I think if we know those up front, we can target our delivery to meet that and to, and to help them be successful and right. to help them show the value of what they've invested in.
0: Yeah, that's a really good point, because it's, it's not just us trying to implement a solution. We really want to be a true partner with yes. our customers, and we can't yeah. have that partnership unless we understand. Yeah, ally. I think
1: relationship's important. I know this sounds kind of fluffy, and
0: <laughs> yes, the science
1: is very important, don't get me wrong. But, <laughs> but I think the relationships, and if I was an executive and I've been on the other side, implementing big products and projects, the relationship with the vendor is really important. Because when your vendor understands you, they become a partner. Exactly. I think that's important. We have a lot of really great customers and the ones we understand the most and we have the best relationships with, we can move quicker and we can deliver more value just based on that relationship and the intel that comes from it.
0: Right, because everyone's working towards a common goal and um, you're all motivated, so that's great. I mean, how critical are things like change management and proper training when it comes to a new solution that you're not familiar with? Like you're saying, we're throwing you a Ferrari, and if you don't know how to drive it, what Uh, do you do?
1: It's vitally important. Yeah. I mean, absolutely. And we will not implement anything, any products without a minimum number of training days, and a minimum number of business transformation, performance management, workflow, depending on on what that as an umbrella we call it business transformation. You cannot adopt these products. You cannot get value from them without these things. Yeah. Um, we recently added sort of a buy up package because we have carriers who are saying, I I understand my corporate culture. I understand my team. We're looking for more training we're looking for you to come in and solve specific business cases for us so let's expand that consulting engagement and i think those are really um, thought leader type airlines who are doing that today so the competitive advantage i mean i've worked for a major competitor of pros the competitive advantage pros has in my opinion besides the the science is That we have experts and we bring them to bear and they provide this kind of value add service. Right. I mean, airlines, when I'm charging them for services, they don't want to pay for project management and they don't want to pay to set up a environment. I wouldn't want to pay for that either. Yeah. But they want to pay for those value add things and change management is that. That's what helps them, you know, reduce their time to value and really adopt. And use more than 10 percent of the product
0: exactly it makes or breaks the product
1: do that and we're spending in professional services we have a dedicated focus there we're improving the services we're improving how we deliver them we're improving the the training for the people who deliver those things so it's a focus area for us definitely
0: so these are some really interesting points and a great conversation. So I'm curious though, would any of this change if you're a large network carrier versus if you're a LCC or a smaller regional carrier? Yeah. I mean, does a lot of what you say stand true?
1: Yeah, I I think it does. I think the approach has to be different. I think there's a bit of a misnomer in the industry that if you're an LCC, you're less complex. I actually think for pros, it it brings more complexities because they don't always work in an industry standard way they have data that may or may not be kind of standardized yeah. in a way that we expect from working with the bigger amadeus and and sabre which is generally larger carriers um they pose their own challenges and and i think that's where our focus on consulting and training has to shift there's mm-hmm. personas like marketing has buyer personas we have airline personas so an lcc may or may not be as complex a rm carrier but we can't just say lccs aren't as complex i think to have that umbrella statement um, creates problems and and causes some implementation challenges we run into because we underestimate what we're going to see yeah same with regional carriers i mean they have their own challenges that a network doesn't. Often LCCs and regional carriers don't have the resources. So they might have the expertise, but that person might be doing three types of roles. Whereas if you move to Lufthansa or cafe or any of those really great best in class carriers for network carriers, they've got a lot of resources yeah, and a lot of expertise and a lot of specialization. So I think that's where the difference is, but for us, we have to be really careful that yeah. we don't assume LCCs are
0: simple. They're not. Right. I think the the key takeaway from everything you've said is just understanding that airline forwards and backwards yeah. and what makes their the environment they operate in unique Right. to serve them better.
1: Right. Like an LCC in Canada is not going to experience the same kind of challenges one in China does. Right. It's just different. So to we don't say all network carriers are the same, but for some odd reason in the in the industry, we kind of lump LCCs as this one group that does everything the same. And yeah. if only, what a perfect world
0: <laughs> that would be. Well, Tara, thank you so much for joining this conversation. I do have one more question for you. We're asking all of our guests. What has been your most memorable travel <laughs> experience to date?
1: It's my it's my best story. <laughs> um I mean, in my job, in the airline industry, I've traveled all over the world and I've seen some of the most amazing, literally the most amazing place on earth, but my most memorable travel experience was a girl's trip to Vegas. Oh. I know. Sounds provocative. <laughs> <a good acronym. laughs> Where I happened to meet my now husband. So oh. if I didn't say that, I'd probably be in trouble. Yeah. <laughs> yes, we met at a concert.
0: Oh, that's, so you met your husband through a girl's trip. Yeah. That's that's a pretty unique story.
1: I know. And so he was a Texan. And yeah. so when Southwest bought Airtran, I thought, well, here's my, here's
0: <laughs> How convenient. my chance to start my
1: <laughs> wonderful career as an airline consultant happens to be in Texas. So that was sort of the beginning for us.
0: That's great. Yeah. Well, thank you, Tara. It was thank great you. having a conversation with you, and we hope you join us again soon.
1: I'd love to. Thanks for having me.
0: Thanks for listening to the Prose Travel Podcast, The View from 30,000 Feet. Special thanks to our guests and our producer, Genevieve Todd. We hope you've enjoyed this episode. If you have any feedback, a burning idea, or know of an industry expert we should feature, shoot us an email at pros.com. That's A-M-E-H-T-A at prose.com. You're now free to move about the cabin.